Reverend Chris Snow of North Hill Christian Church is working hard to let his congregation know they're not alone right now, even though it can certainly feel like it during quarantine. And listeners, he wants you to know he's there for you, too. Welcome to Faves Forward, a new podcast about how faith communities are staying connected during this coronavirus pandemic. I'm Tracy Simmons. Chris Snow, I am the pastor at North Hill Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, but I also serve our regional church as the Youth and Children's Ministry Coordinator of the Northern Lights region. So two big jobs, sounds like. Yes. Especially right now. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Let's, let's talk first about what you're doing there at North Hill Christian Church. I know you guys have been meeting on doing Facebook Live and Zoom and, and all of that stuff. Um, and now that you have the okay to, to worship in person again, what is your plan and what are you guys going to do? So our current plan is to convene a committee to work through all those requirements that Governor Inslee put forth uh, so that we are safe about opening up and worshiping back in our building uh, and also being mindful of looking at there will be those who won't be gathering back with us in person until they feel it's safe for them. We have a number of individuals, including my own daughter, who are medically compromised. And so they will continue worship probably from home uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I've heard a lot of churches talk about kind of having this hybrid option Mm -hmm. for some. Yeah. But it sounds like something that's going to take a little bit of time to figure out. So um, what about this coming Sunday in the church or not so, yet? Uh, this coming Sunday, we'll, I'll probably be uh, running Zoom from our sanctuary. Uh, over the past several weeks, we've actually made some improvements and some upgrades to our system uh, within the, our building. And so we actually now have the ability to do Zoom and live streaming from our sanctuary. Uh, and so we'll continue to do those uh, methods of recording Zoom and posting it to Facebook afterwards. Okay. Have you been going into your sanctuary every week to record your services? I know some pastors go do it in their offices or their living rooms. Or... So it's actually a funny story because when all this started, we, couldn't, we weren't worshiping our sanctuary because at the end of January, our heater was broken into and decimated. And so we were worshiping in our fellowship hall through end of January, February, and into March. And only recently have we gotten everything repaired. And only recently have we had the ability to stream from our sanctuary. Um, So I've been doing it for my office for the past, I don't know how many weeks now. Losing count. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So it looks like you're in your office now. I I see a guitar and lots of books, of course, communion goblets (laughs) goblets <laughs> yeah. yeah all my chalices and since i was set up in here i created my background so that resembled who we are as disciples uh, and the chalices are a large focal point of who we are as church okay. it's how we gather around the community table that is at our very essence mm-hmm. 
Yeah, tell me a little bit about your congregation. I've, I don't think I've ever uh, been to one of your worship services before, unfortunately. So our congregation is a part of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, uh, which is a denomination that came out of the American West uh, during the early 1800s. We pinpoint our foundational moment in 1801 uh, back in Kentucky. Uh, but we as a congregation, we are very congregationally led. So I don't really have all that much power unless what they tell me I can do. And so because of that, our congregation is able to make the decision on what we want to do. Uh, and we don't have a uh, structure where our uh, denominational leaders can tell us what to do either. Uh, so with that in mind, we are a fairly traditional congregation as far as our worship style. And, and we all are also an older congregation with some young families uh, present. And as we gather for worship each Sunday, I have a strong focus on music. Uh, I, that's how I have come to worship and come uh, to express my own faith most is in music. And so right now, as we plan for the future, that is something we are asking questions about. Can we have music uh, in the same way? Yeah, because singing with a face mask on just isn't quite the same, but it's safer. Right, and even with the face mask on, uh, singing produces so much more of the aerosol aerosolized droplets, and we don't have as enough information yet to know, do masks really help with singing? And also, how do we let our music leaders sing and not create a possible chance of infection or anything like that. Absolutely. And I imagine like so many congregations, normally you do stuff throughout the week as well. Mm -hmm. um, are you finding ways to do that digitally? We've actually increased our number of gatherings during the week. During all of this, we discovered the need for us to um, meet together see one another and catch up. And so after our very first Zoom worship service, people stuck around for a good half hour to an hour afterwards, just talking and reconnecting. Uh, and so because of that, we moved our regularly scheduled Tuesday Bible study to Zoom so that people can still get together. And we really enjoyed some of the aspects of that. Because with Zoom, we can screen share and everyone is looking at the exact same text, exact same wording. And I can point out uh, some of those fine uh, details of the text a little easier. And then we also added a, a weekly coffee hour just for people to get together, see each other and talk. Yeah, I think that's it's important right now to, to find that connection. Yes. And... I saw you have something, uh, maybe it's a series or something right now called Attitude Adjustment. So Attitude Adjustment is a 12-step program that is, uh, that they use our building. And right now they aren't using, they're not able to meet because it, last I checked, they are the largest addiction recovery group in town that uses our building. And so when you get 100 or so people, you can't social distance. And so working with, uh, that group on making plans for what are the steps needed so we can have you back in our building using our facility um, as, and be safe at the same time. 
Right. Absolutely. Because your building is more than just the church for you guys. It's a, it's a gathering place for others as well. Yeah. And there is also a second congregation that uses our building. Uh, and that's a Ukrainian Baptist church. And thankfully, it's a smaller congregation. And so they can social distance very well. And working with them on what are the requirements that we need to see from them uh, for the use of our building. Definitely. I saw that in your your newsletter, so you send out a weekly or maybe a monthly newsletter to your congregation, uh, you wrote something recently about how to overcome uh, feeling alone in this time. And can you talk a little bit about what inspired that? Part of it is out of all my different conversations throughout the week uh, where I talk with other clergy and I interact in all these different meetings just to help support one another because it it can be very easy to feel isolated if all you're doing is looking at a computer all day and not physically being in the same room with another person. There's that feeling of isolation. And so how do we support one another, encourage each other as we figure out a way to still stay connected? And so the idea of writing an article around isolation is that reminder that we're not alone. Definitely. And how was that received by by folks in your church? As far as I'm aware, I uh, received pretty well. And I often don't get too many comments on my articles uh, unless there's something that really hits hard or really perks an ear up um, and causes people to ask more questions. Mm. I saw that you... Um, you, you're getting letters from your congregation, though, like letters of encouragement. Yeah, and hearing words of thanks for setting up our virtual service, because thankfully our congregation recognizes how much work it is, uh, and they are taking the extra effort to make sure that I recognize their uh, gratitude for all that I'm doing here in the building uh, when I'm isolated. Right. Actually, before we hit the record button, you were talking a little bit about um, the edits you were doing. So can you just talk a little bit about what goes into producing a virtual service? Because it's not just hitting the record button. Yeah. uh, So there are a few steps that I do when I'm in my office just to record the service. And in the sanctuary, it's even more. uh, Making sure all the cameras are set up. I was gifted a nice microphone uh, that connects my computer. Uh, And so getting all those pieces, all those hardware pieces in place and all those uh, leadership materials out to my uh, music director, our lay leader, our elder who is serving uh, each week. So they know what they are responsible for. Uh, And so our music director actually pre-records all the hymns. And so he's gotten into layering voices he does all the voicing for most of it, uh, but also layering different instruments with his technology to just enhance the music as best as uh, he can. So I create the PowerPoint, embed the music into that, so I'm all ready to go. Then the worship service itself is pretty easy, just making sure everyone's screen uh, sees what they should be seeing, uh, whether it be the PowerPoint or the speaker at the, any given time. And recording all of this uh, is pretty easy, thankfully. But once it's done, there is a time of trimming all the videos so that it's ready for Facebook, making sure all my copyright citations are correct. Uh, Because Facebook has been cracking down on churches 
a lot lately. So if you don't go over and beyond, uh, your video gets pulled. And so making all those edits and then uploading to Facebook, which can take a while depending on your internet speed. Yeah, I bet when you went to seminary, you weren't <laughs> studying how to edit video and do all this stuff that you're an expert at now. Pretty much, and thinking, I have continued to think about what I haven't learned in seminary. There's actually a Facebook group with that title. And that's a group for clergy and other faith leaders to share all those things they've learned and share all of those things that they were never taught about and ask questions. And there's also one for Zoom, where clergy who are doing worship via Zoom asking questions and finding out something's not working. Because back when I was in seminary, a little bit over 11 years ago, we didn't have all this technology. We didn't have Zoom. Mm-hmm. Right. And even beyond the technology, I don't think, did you, do you feel like you were taught how to handle this situation that we're in right now in seminary or is something you're kind of learning as you, as you go and learning from your peers as well, maybe? Mostly learning from my peers as we go uh, because there are no classes about pandemics. Uh, there are classes about how to reduce some liability as far as building structure and how we gather as groups uh, and making sure that everyone's safe. But pandemics are a whole different animal And so thankfully there are many groups who are sharing what we're learning about and those little tips and tricks of using all this technology. And thankfully I already have most of it in house to be able to do and use it. Yeah. I can see your microphone. I'm jealous. (laughs) Yeah. It was a, it was good. It was actually given to me by my regional minister because our regional office had an extra one. And thankfully we live in the same city. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't think I realized that. Yeah. Now, um, how is the health of your congregation? Is everyone, has COVID hit anyone in your church? I haven't heard of anyone within our congregation uh, being directly hit by the coronavirus. Uh, We have received word of uh, distant family members, uh, so cousins uh, or aunts, uncles, and further distance uh, have had cases of coronavirus. I had, right now I can't remember if anyone has passed away uh, in any of those relationships, but we do know people indirectly who have passed away due to the virus and I'm continuing to encourage everyone to stay safe. And that's hard when you start seeing other congregations opening up and we still say we need to stay safe. Right. And also just kind of with this unrest that we're seeing where people are ready to to get back out and just want this to be over. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you talk to people about that? And what are you, what are you saying to your congregation? For the most part, uh, thankfully everyone in our congregation knows my family situation pretty well with a daughter with a, a compromised immune system. And so they've been practicing over the past two years uh, that we need to keep each other safe, that we are responsible for the health of others. And knowing that we have several other individuals in our congregation with compromised immune systems, it's just a reminder of we need to watch out for each other, care for each other. And if we want to rush back, we need to be mindful of what steps each person is going to take for themselves to be back here in person. That's great. They're gathering around your daughter in 
a very spiritual sense and yes. learning from her, I think. Yes. And thankfully we have these uh, examples to show of if one of these people in our congregation gets this, it is devastating and we would rather play it safe. And we want to take those steps to keep everyone safe. Yeah. Now, since the pandemic, um, churches have had to gather digitally for major holidays like Easter. And uh, I know just recently it was this weekend was Pentecost. Did you guys do anything special for Pentecost Sunday? We did a few things special. Uh, since it was Pentecost, and it was for me a very special day as an anniversary of my ordination, I really want to be back in our sanctuary for that worship service. Uh, so I put up the Pentecost uh, banners and some of the some of those things that make it feel more like Pentecost. But we also shared a message from our general minister president regarding what Pentecost means to our denomination. As we take up these special offerings throughout the year that are directed towards different ministries of our larger church. And this one is all about the new church ministries, how we work together to help plant new churches around our country. And for Pentecost, that, those two things go hand in hand, the birth of the church with the birthing of new congregations. Uh, we were also able to share a video from, it's called the College of Regional Ministers. So they are our, for the most part, uh, geography-based uh, um, denominational leaders who help um, guide us, help us with resources and expertise. And they put together a wonderful video of, of them singing together via Zoom. And then we also shared some cake and saying happy birthday to the church. Nice. <laughs> That's fun. It's fun to mix things up a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And it is important to have fun and recognizing that we can't always do the same things that we used to do, but right now we can find ways to celebrate together. Yeah. And I noticed on, um, at least on your Facebook page, because you're posting obviously the videos, uh, but you're also posting a link every time to Giveify, which is the online giving, an, an online giving platform. Um, how is your church doing right now? I know a lot of churches are struggling with donations being down and so forth. So we're actually doing pretty well. Uh, for Financially, we are seeing a little uh, decline in the building use uh, donations for those groups that use our building on a regular basis. They're, and they're not, they have been using our building. Uh, while we've been shut down. And so we've seen those things decline. But over the last I heard, uh, our regular giving by our members, our visitors, and other sources has actually been holding steady. And the Givelify uh, link came about because we've been talking about doing online giving for several years now. And once we heard we weren't going to be able to worship together in the same place, that just made the decision for us that we should just go ahead and do it and, and and roll with it. This obviously the situation isn't ideal, but I've heard from a lot of clergy who are saying, I think we're learning something that we can carry forward digitally in the future when we do start gathering again. Exactly. And uh, as we've been posting to Facebook, we've, we've noticed, and at least I have noticed there are a number of people who are following us on Facebook who I have never actually met. Uh, people who are either living in different cities, different states, uh, or even locally who their schedules don't allow them to worship with us on Sunday morning. 
they have been interacting with us. And so just seeing those interactions and seeing how easy it is, uh, and that's with quotes, and how easy it is to reach out and post to Facebook uh, makes it even more important for us to continue to do that moving forward. Uh, because if we continue to post to Facebook and share worship services online, that just broadens the possibilities of who we can reach and who can uh, experience our services and who might be or might hear a uh, word that's helpful or a have a spiritual moment where they're drawn closer uh, to the divine. Right. And then I guess the, the next step of that is trying to figure out how to build a relationship with some of these people you've never seen face to face. Exactly. And reaching out and offering, hey, we're having these meetings via Zoom. Would you want to join with us? Uh, or simply checking in with some of those who have been living in other states, but still want to stay connected and find those ways to keep everyone connected. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I, it's just so timely to be talking to you. You're wearing a shirt talking about uh, resisting injustice and oppression. Obviously, this podcast is about COVID, but what's on everyone's hearts right now is the protests happening across the country. And are you guys having that conversation in your church right now? It's been a um, ongoing theme uh, throughout my time here in Spokane. I've now lived here about seven years, and it's something that I've always continued to preach uh, is justice, and whether it be around racial justice whether it be around issues of who is welcome to the communion table, and because all those things come together. Um, and each time that we gather for worship, we do have communion together. And when we do that, I make it a point to remind everyone that everyone is truly welcome. And what we do at the communion table should be a reflection uh, and a starting point of how we live our lives on the community. So if we are to declare everyone is welcome at the table, then we have to be willing to go out into the community and declare that same truth, that everyone is welcome to be a part of that community and everyone should be supported and encouraged and we should fight against injustice so that everyone may know the justice that God has in store for all of us. Yeah, the communion table is so uh, symbolic, especially Uh, I think in your church, because you were kind of talking about that at the beginning as well. What's it like to not be able to do that right now, to not share the bread and the wine? And And that's been an interesting conversation as I've been working with other clergy for the Interfaith Pride service that will be coming up in a week and a half. We were talking about communion around with the Christian clergy. And I am, my tradition is one that doesn't place a lot of requirements on what communion looks like. And hearing from other denominations that that is a struggle. For us, we can easily gather uh, together via Zoom and everyone brings their communion together. Everyone grabs what they have out of the fridge and brings the elements and then we celebrate together. And for us, that has kept us connected. That keeps us rooted in our faith as well, of being able to gather around the communion table each week as a celebration of how we worship. Yeah. And when you're able to meet in person again, you'll just have to figure out a different way to do it, I guess, than the normal. Exactly. And 
we're already looking at the pre-packaged communion sets with the wafer and the juice all in one. Uh, but this is also allowed, I'm going to find another, another piece that I hadn't even thought about. We've had gluten-free wafers in a cardboard type cup or container on a communion plate for those who can't have gluten. And as I've been looking for these pre-packaged sets and looking to see how do we take care of everyone, I found that I can get individually packaged gluten-free wafers. And so that's a, that helps us to be safe for everyone, not just those who can have the regular communion. Uh, and it also moves us forward into an even healthier and better practice of how we share uh, communion with those who can't have gluten. Yeah, inclusion. That's neat. I, I didn't even know that was uh, an option. <laughs> it's great that people are trying to, to figure this stuff out. Yeah, and it's those things that we learn because of necessity. When mm -hmm. we start looking at what possibilities we have, we ask those questions of what about gluten? What about these other pieces? Right. And so you mentioned the Interfaith Pride Service, and I know that's something that you've helped organize in the past as well. And so I, it's going to be virtual this year? Yes. Uh, so pretty the Pride Week uh, is going virtual this year. It'll be going virtual next week. And so on the 10th will be the Interfaith Pride Service, which has been happening for the past four or five years. We're trying to track down how many years it's been. Uh, but it's a service where faith leaders from different traditions uh, get together and declare affirmation of everyone who's gathered for worship in a way that we can work together. Uh, while we may not agree on, our, on everyone's beliefs, we come together uh, to affirm those who are gathered for worship uh, and we're able to work together in such a meaningful way. It's great that you're able to find a way to keep it this year, even though yeah. you can't do it physically. I give thanks to uh, Jan Shannon and Out Spokane who have really been leading all of that. That's good. I'll, I'll definitely have to spread the word, help spread the word on that. So, Tell me about your position now with the uh, you as youth and children's ministry coordinator. Um, is that a new position that you've taken on? So this is a part-time position that I've been in charge of for two years or so. And what it means is I am under my responsibilities. I oversee the camps, the retreats, and those ministry uh, programs of our region for our youth and children. It also includes our regional youth council, which are a set of high schoolers who are working together to help prepare and plan our winter retreats. But this year, all of our winter retreats were canceled. Uh, we slowly watched them get canceled across our large region, which consists of Alaska, Washington, Northern Idaho, and all of Montana. It's and, a big area. <laughs> yes, and most of my responsibilities cover as far as physical camps are in Washington and Montana. Okay. I was just uh, on a previous podcast, talked to um, a pastor who was, they were just trying to figure out what to do with their church summer camps. It's a vacation Bible school. That's a huge thing. So are you guys going to try to do some virtual stuff or how's that looking? So we haven't made uh, concrete decisions that I do have a team I work with to make those decisions. And it's made up of the directors of the camps. 
uh, those leaders who are recruiting volunteers and everything. And so we are looking at several options. There's a virtual option that's been made possible by the Presbyterian Church uh, that they created this uh, virtual portal that will be live all summer. And we can create virtual camps within that portal as well as access resources from other leaders and other denominations as we do camp in this totally different way. We're also looking at what would it look like for us to gather in our different areas across this vast region and have camp days where people get together and do those things that remind us and connect us at camp. And um, we are also looking at a day camp at one of our two locations so that we can still be on site if possible. But one of the conversations that's really taken off is the idea of a virtual regional youth group. Because we have youth from across this vast distance who most likely will never see everyone, what would it look like if we got everyone, as many of the youth together in a youth group format, supporting the congregations with small youth groups and large youth groups alike, and offer chances to learn from different clergy and different leaders from across a region. And the opportunities are endless with that idea. And so we are seeing new possibilities just because we can't gather for camp in person as we usually would this year. Well, it's great that it's not just being canceled, like trying to decide what, how, how can we adapt? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been recognizing we've needed to make some changes over the past several years, and this just makes it easier to make those changes. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's so important to connect with the youth, especially right now? So connecting with the youth right now, one of the struggles that I'm seeing is um, to get away from our computer means less connectivity, at least with the some of those uh, community pieces uh, where people are not in the same town because school's gone virtual and all these different things are virtual. And when I think about camp, I think outside, no technology. So how do you bring those two things together? But finding ways that we can connect all of our youth and allow them to create that support system that they would normally have at camp. And at camp, the instant community is formed each and every year for each and every week, every week of camp. And so they start talking with one another. They start sharing themselves with one another. And how do we offer those free-flowing opportunities that's not regulated by Zoom? Because if we're in Zoom, we're, we all see each other. We all, unless you are doing the private messages, you, everyone knows what's happening. But how do we help facilitate communication and community in those very free and open ways? Yeah. It's so, it's kind of ironic for, I always hear my friends who have kids yelling at their kids to get off the screens and get outside. And now they're like, get on the screens, (laughs) connect with people. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I was surprised this past weekend as I saw what looked to be a tennis camp happening over at Shadle High School because you saw a coach and all these youth were playing tennis. Thankfully, they were easily six feet apart uh, and think about what are those activities we can do that still help us be connected. 
Uh, it sounds like that was, was that an important part of your childhood, going to camp? And... In part, yes. Um, and mainly it was those retreats that were led by youth uh, that I became a leader in, in, during high school. Those places where we were able to share our faith in a mostly youth-structured format where the, there were adults present, but they weren't really leading. Uh, the youth were all leading and letting us be youth and sharing our whole experience with one another. And so that's what was foundational for me. I mean, I'm sure that had some kind of influence on where you are today and how you became a minister. Oh, it, it did. Uh, in high school, doing these retreats and backpacking camps, as I grew and matured uh, throughout my time in high school, I definitely didn't mature all the way until later on. But as I matured, and found my leadership qualities, those places where I was able to lead uh, in places where I never thought I could be present because of my speech impairment and my hearing impairment. And being able to sh share who I am and help guide others is why I heard the call to ministry. Uh, even though my father is also a minister, I, I have seen behind the curtain in my youth of what really happens in churches uh, in the background and still I wanted to follow that calling because I discovered something with myself through those possibilities. Wow, I didn't realize your father was also a pastor, Disciples of Christ as well? Yes. Okay, so it sounds like this position uh, as youth and children's ministry coordinator is kind of right up, right up your alley then. <laughs> it is, uh, and I've had several years as on camp staff back in Missouri where I've saw how camp can be done really well, but I've also seen things that can be improved on. And I have a passion for having a strong camping program and have a strong youth program here in, the re in our region. And at one point I was very vocal about things that needed to get changed. And I, when I had the opportunity, I took it. Does the Disciples of Christ have an actual physical camp in the Spokane area? Uh, we used to over in Liberty Lake. We sold it uh, four or five years ago, if I remember right. Uh, it was Zephyr uh, Disciples Camp. Uh, but currently we have two camps that are owned by the congregations that are located closer uh, to those facilities. One of them is in Lincoln, Montana. That one's called Cambridge West, uh, which harkens back to that found, founding moment of our denomination at Cambridge, Kentucky. And then our other camp is over in Lacey, Washington, and that is Wynwood Camp and Conference Center. Um, and so both of these facilities now provide me with many op opportunities of how we can do camp. Yeah, you're making me want to go to camp. <laughs> sounds, yeah. sounds fun. Well, I look forward to seeing how you guys um, figure, out, figure out what you're going to do there. We're actually working, I have a uh, reporter working on a story right now about what summer camps and VBS is going to look like uh, this year. So mm -hmm. we'll be sure to loop you guys in there. Okay. Well, I mean, it sounds like even though we're all in quarantine and still isolating uh, for the most part, you're still pretty busy. Um, you are, do, you have this part-time job plus your, your regular uh, church duties that have now become very digital. And then, uh, I know you're a family man too. So how, what else is going on in your life? Right now it's been getting everything at home ready for summer, uh, planting the garden so that 
we're looking forward to having our harvest of lettuce, kale, spinach, zucchini, strawberries, all the herbs, and all these different vegetables that we can have fresh in our garden. And so taking the time and blocking out that time so I can take care of all those things has been really important over the past several weeks. Yeah, I can imagine. Your garden sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a lot of work over the past several years, but it's been well worth it when we can pull fresh food out of our backyard. Well, good. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, Anything you want to say to our listeners who, especially maybe who are just feeling that anxiety right now? Sure. Um, As I think about all those within our own congregation and those who are still seeking after something that is meaningful and something that grasp onto that has meaning, um, that even as congregations are not meeting in their buildings, even as we're taking these steps to stay safe, there are still communities who are gathering uh, in different ways. Uh, and for at North Hill, all you have to do is ask by either emailing me or through our website, let me know that you like to have our Zoom link and we can share that very easily. Uh, we just hold it within our email chain because of Zoom, Zoom bombers. But as we continue to meet, we want to know that others, there are possibilities for everyone to gather, um, even though it's not in person. So if you're feeling alone, isolated, and without that support system, reach out. Reach out to your faith community. Reach out uh, to someone you're interested in hearing from. uh, And it just takes a little email, a little text, and those connections can still happen. That was Reverend Chris Snow talking about how summer camp helped prepare him for ministry and his role as youth and children's ministry coordinator for the Northern Lights region of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Thanks for listening to Faves Forward, which you can find on our website, SpokaneFaves.com, or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We're in the middle of a membership drive right now. Anyone who signs up to be a monthly Spokane Faves donor gets a free t-shirt. It's a great way to show your support for what we do. To sign up, visit favesmembers.com. That's F-A-V-S members.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.